0: Geek Top 5, Quarantine Edition.
1: Yay! There was time now. There was was all the time I needed.
0: Geek Top 5, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are, uh, well, we're alone in the virtual studio for the first time in 2021. It's, uh, it's a little cold and empty in here. Man, I hadn't thought of that. Right? It's so strange. How are you, Graham? (laughs) I'm okay, finally, we can talk freely. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Really really break it down. (laughs) No, we're not going to do that. That's boring. Who wants feelings? Um, No, what we're doing today, well, we've got a a couple of things lined up for today, and the first of which is we've got some listener feedback. Yep, can't, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to dive into this. All right, well, you've got it open and I don't, so why don't you tell us? This has been a whole weird thing, because I have not been made privy to this information until this very moment.
1: Well, look, i got to make myself uh, necessary in some way. Hey, there so, you go. <laughs> the email is from Sonali, and she says, Hey, Geek Top 5, I really enjoyed your latest episode. There are definitely many things I'm in agreement with. I do not know enough about the comics to know where they may be going with the MCU, but certainly very interesting possibilities are probable. Most of all, I picture Kevin Feige sitting in a very comfy chair, his hands steepled in front of him, smiling at how he has us all hooked into the MCU after we thought our interests might wane after Infinity Wars. Over the course of the last six episodes, the advertisements shown uh she's going into division here. Uh the advertisements shown have become one of the most intriguing aspects to me. You guys definitely touched on them and their possible relevance. I agree thematically, they are Wanda's traumas. The last advertisement, perhaps the most disturbing one of all so far, makes me think something or someone is taunting Wanda in that her magic cannot actually save Vision. Some theories abound that they're actually linked to the Infinity Stones, but I don't really see that. Do you guys have a take on the Infinity Stones theory for the advertisements? Again, awesome episode, and looking forward to more. Meaty. Wow. Okay. Well, I think uh, this was sent before the most recent episode of WandaVision aired, and I think that episode has answered some of the questions. At least to me, there's no Infinity Stones connection possible, right? Is that what you're seeing? I mean,
0: it's like we know the Infinity Stones are both like narratively aren't involved and thematically aren't involved. But we also know that everything Wanda is doing is an Infinity Stone byproduct. So I guess it depends on how wide a net you're casting. Um, Certainly, yes, um, spoilers for the next episode of WandaVision. Besides what we talked about last week in our big WandaVision episode. Yes, we now know that there are other powers at work here. Um, and also that we owe John Cashmore a beer. <laughs> as always. As always, right? Guy is just, <laughs> he is on the money. You should take that to Vegas. <laughs> um, but as for the, the advertisements themselves, yet yeah, now it's interesting. Now that we know that there's a p- potentially hostile, but certainly second party in there, having those advertisements, like looking at them at the lens of being directed towards Wanda are really interesting. It it, you could use you could hmm, you could create the idea that Wanda is in some way privy to the final output of the show, and as much as she wants to pretend that everything is okay in that little world, these are reminders that they're not.
1: And and just as a little geek thing for me, and I, I, it sounds like we're avoiding spoilers for the most recent episode. But all I'll say is, there's a moment where we see Monica wearing a, uh, you know, a tight fitting. Uh, Black and white uniform, a sword uniform, but it is very reminiscent of her superhero costumes in the comics, and I I really enjoyed that.
0: Oh, yeah, plenty of fun things to talk about in the most recent episode. Um, I'm sure we'll catch up with it as it gets wrapped up, but yeah, put it this way, what's happening to Monica is exactly what we expected and talked about on the show. Um, And the stuff with uh, Agnes, Agatha, well, I mean, I didn't think so at first, but man,
1: Cash had it. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I didn't see it it coming to this, even though, I don't know, well, we'll talk about it some other time. (laughs) Fair
0: enough. (laughs) So that brings us to our episode today. Um... Fans of the show may remember that, you know, back in the before time, we used to do this. uh, We we used to have a lot more of a regimented structure to the shows. We used to talk a little bit about current events before hitting a top five list. It was a nice divvy up. Uh, We sort of got off that track once the pandemic started because a lot of the news were things that we didn't want to spend our free time dealing with because it wasn't all happy. Uh, But, you know, stuff has been uh, good. Things have been happening. And by good, I, of course, mean geeky. Uh, So, you know what? We are doing a, we're going to do a news episode, kind of like the good old days. Graham and I have each found uh, five things that have sort of caught our eye. They're mostly pretty recent. I think they're all 2021, but just stuff that we've sort of had our eye on uh, over the last little while, and maybe things that you may have missed and would want to check out.
1: Yeah, it's going to be in a a dueling list format, even though there's not much to duel. We'll just uh, tell our own top five list one at a time, and we'll discuss them as we go. So
0: back to back to back to brass tacks, as it were. Uh, why don't you get us started, Graham? What's your number
1: five? I thought we'd uh, rock, paper, scissors for it. Although I guess it's harder to do when we can't see each other. I yes, we we have not set up the the video for this yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I will start with the Mortal Kombat trailer, and I, I I put that on my list. But I have a feeling you're going to have a lot more to say about it. What I can tell everyone is that uh, the film is going to be released on April 16th, streaming in the States on HBO Max and who knows where in Canada and the rest of the world. But there is also plans for a theatrical release. We'll see how realistic that is when the time comes. Other than that, uh, there's not much I can tell you about it that isn't covered by the two words Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The trailer was a
0: little fanservice-y, wasn't
1: it? (laughs) Oh, A little? I can tell you... The director's name is Simon McCoyd. I have no idea who that is, and I didn't recognize the names of any of the actors, but the characters are all all people that we are familiar with if we've been playing any sort of Nintendo or Sega Genesis product since the 90s. There's Cole, Sonya, Jax, Liu Kang, Kung Lao, Raiden, Kano, Shang Tsung, Sub-Zero Scorpion, Mylena, Cabal, and Natara, and, of course, we see in the trailer also Goro, who is an entirely CG construct, so he doesn't get an actor credit, sadly. Now, I admire your enthusiasm, and it it really, I do, it touches
0: my heart. It is important to point out that the... I I mispronounced every single name? Several mispronunciations, (laughs) but a lot of buzz about the trailer is revolving around the protagonist, Cole Young, which, by the way, I guess is still better than just naming him Protagonist Hero's Journey, uh, because that is an original character.
1: Ah, okay. I, who's, I have to admit. I'm not a Mortal Kombat guy, and so I saw the name, and I was like, that sounds like a could-be-a-Mortal Kombat name, but I'm sure I just missed him. <laughs> nope, original guy, and a lot of the, like, he seems like the, the point of
0: him being in the movie is to be the audience's point of view, right? He's going to be brought into this crazy, mysterious world that's right out of a 90s comic book, and as he learns about it, we're going to learn about it, but a lot of the buzz is maybe he is secretly one of the Mortal Kombat characters, um mm. raining well theories are all over the place but a lot of folks are pointing out that longtime fan favorite johnny cage is nowhere to be seen um in this
1: trailer but so this guy doesn't have like a johnny cage vibe does he i mean we've only seen a trailer like there's not a lot to take from it right but johnny cage is like a sunglasses wearing movie star right like yeah this and guy this guy is a a apparently first-faced. a
0: down on his a down on his luck like you know down and out mma fighter like the character, you know, it's like Johnny Cage doing badly. Like, yeah, maybe he's got a stage name. It could be something like that. Um, other folks are saying that the it seems like a big part of this movie is going to focus around the feud between Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Um, and we see shots of Scorpion sort of in, I guess, what you'd call his human form. Um uh, Which is played by a different actor, but they're saying that perhaps, perhaps Cole Young is sort of a descendant of that character, and he's going to be Scorpion. That's sort of out there. And there's also hints that uh, there's a really dramatic moment at the end of the trailer where Sub-Zero, like, basically looks into the camera and announces, I am Sub-Zero, and we're all watching this going, yeah,
1: we know. Uh, yeah, you're the ice guy. I thought that. I thought that was just sort of a fan service thing from the video game, like the the characters announcing who they are.
0: Maybe, or is it possible there are two Sub Zeros in the Mortal Kombat lore? In Mortal Kombat One, the first Sub Zero, Bihan, who's a like, in the story, just a real bastard. He gets murdered by Scorpion, and the subsequent games feature his younger brother, Kui Lang. Who takes up the mantle? Like takes on the code name of Sub Zero to sort of avenge his fallen older brother. Uh, there's the things that maybe Cole is the younger brother in this case. Uh, mm. So there's a lot of speculation about that. That's probably more in de- more in depth than we need to go. But if you want to impress your friends with how much you know about
1: Mortal Kombat, that's <laughs> what you need to do it. I have to say the other big fan service thing in it, at least. That I recognized, I'm sure there's a million, but the thing that stuck out to me was uh, Scorpion towards the end of the trailer says, get over here, and as fun as it is to hear the character say his classic catchphrase, it didn't seem to jibe with the sort of old man, traditional martial arts wearing figure we saw older, er, earlier in the trailer. Is that just me? I mean, I think the
0: problem is that that line doesn't make any sense. I mean, no matter how it's presented, <laughs> so it's hard to say. It could be an indication that there's no a cockier, younger guy behind the Scorpion mask, right? Um, and of course, it's a it's just a f- famous line from the game because Scorpion has been there since the you know the original video game release in '92.
1: so uh, oh boy yeah we are old
0: and that that is his signature move where he throws the the rope spear at a guy and impales him and drags him over and shouts get over here so
1: that had to be in the movie so so you said the line doesn't ever make sense uh can you elaborate on that a bit more like like is that well but just why would you say that to a person I mean like it's you could ask that about like any snappy line from a video game or, or martial arts movie but is there a reason why it seems especially odd once you know the backstory of Scorpion no no that's just a thing no, that he okay. says
0: when he uses that move It's <laughs> it's not listen Mortal Kombat I mentioned earlier about a 90s comic book yeah like Mortal Kombat has a lot of lore and its story is basically a bunch of people have to beat people up and I like the lore don't get me wrong there's other or the parallel dimensions, and ninjas, and cops, and robots, and movie stars. It's wild, but it, it, it's main it's purpose is to deliver comical gore. And to be fair, that's sort of what we see in this trailer, but I feel like folks who may be looking for like a really in-depth, powerful story of character development, you might be buying your tickets or your online streaming whatever for the wrong film.
1: Well, I, I think once you see the trailer, you're gonna know that's not happening in this movie. That That's something I, I wanted to ask about. It, it almost feels fan y to the point where it's exclusionary. Like, I saw that trailer, I'm not a big Mortal Kombat guy, and I'm like, well, this just looks like a collection of cutscenes and, and, like, fight scenes from the game, and I I'm not a huge fan of playing that game and I'm certainly not that interested in watching other people play that game. So what is it that's supposed to make me go to the movie? Do you, do you think it's gone too far in being close to the source material? No,
0: I think what, well, from the trailer, what I think they're doing is I think they're going with sort of a, a, like a Chinese Kung Fu John Wick. Like there's, there's going to be just enough story and just enough character like, for us to buy into it, and then we're going to be watching awesome fight choreography. And you and see that a- in some of the shots in the trailer. You know, they have Sub-Zero. Like he cuts, the, I think it's Scorpion, he cuts, and then the blood pours out, and he freezes it into a blood knife. and st- Like, that's what it focuses on, right? Like, it's right. the cool things that they're doing. I think that's what they're going for. And I mean, we've talked about in the podcast before, like you yourself, you aren't a huge John Wick fan because you, you, it, it really. I bo- am a
1: huge. Uh, well, I'm a fan of the action scenes in John Wick, but the story is, is. Uh, yeah, you've gone really on at awesome. length about how disappointed you are in the story. And that's. <laughs> okay. But I'm still a fan of it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, and I think this is going to be the same thing. I think that's what they're. I, I mean, even if you look back, I mean, like we're, we're sort of skipping the point, like, Mortal Kombat, like, this is, like, a a, a movie with the same name came out in 1995, and it's considered a cult classic, and again, it really is just an exposition of fight
1: choreography, like, it's not a good movie, we can all agree on that, but I think, I remember for the longest time when we were growing up, it was considered the best Video game movie, and that wasn't saying much. No, that wasn't tough competition. <laughs> yeah, but it was the top of that heap for a long time, and I, I've kind of lost track. But it, it's probably still in the top five. Well, it's a it's it's a tough call. Like
0: I mean, back then video games were weird and scary, which is why the movies. Never really tied into it. Like, nowadays, video games are a big deal, and so movie adaptations... Like, Remember, there have been a couple of Hitman movies, the Tomb Raider movies are still coming out, the Resident Evil movies, there's like seven of them. Like, and yet, Mortal Kombat could still,
1: even with that list, be in the top five.
0: I mean, I don't know. I've, I've watched that movie recently, and it's fun, <laughs> but it's not very good. <laughs> by far, the best part of it is the Mortal Kombat theme song by the Immortals. Oh. So good. Yeah. I I was reading, apparently, that soundtrack was the first EDM album ever to go platinum. (laughs) Just because of that song, the Mortal Kombat song, which is alluded to at the end of this trailer when they flash up the title. There's a very dramatic rendition of sort of the beat to that original song. And I I trust that they're going to have a remix of that song in there, and I know it's going to blow my mind,
1: and it's manipulative <laughs> and nostalgic, and I should be offended, but I won't be. I'll just be giggling with glee. I guess the, the last thing I want to say about it is I really enjoy that moment at the end of the trailer with Kano and his red laser eye and his hilarious Australian accent. That was probably my favorite part of the trailer. I may be alone in that stance, though.
0: Australian Kano is constantly a delight in every iteration. In both movies, <laughs> the video games, everything. Kano is just a... Oh, it's Australian, so they use strong language that we're not going to repeat here, <laughs> but he's one of those.
1: He is one of those. <laughs> okay, we should move on. What's your number five?
0: My number five, I wanted to talk about Project Triangle Strategy. Mostly because <laughs> I just wanted to say that those words out loud. Um... <laughs> A new video game announced that's going to be coming to the Nintendo Switch next year. Uh, To be fair, they're calling that a working title, since Project (laughs) Triangle Strategy is a bit of a mouthful. However, this is coming from Square Enix, uh, the company who has made other video games with delightful titles. Um, I picked some of my favorites here. Octopath Traveler is a good one. Um, Lost Sphere, Sphere spelled S-P-H-E-A-R. Oh, okay. Um, Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Um, Bravely Default, Bravely Second End Lair, and my favorite Kingdom Hearts 358 divided by two days. <laughs>
1: okay so expect a game actually titled project triangle strategy coming to a nintendo or maybe they were like this title isn't weird enough yet maybe yeah maybe they want to revise it throw a few adjectives in there (laughs) we'll see um or or some more math problems
0: Hilarious name aside, this actually looks like a really cool game. This is coming from the guys who made the aforementioned Octopath Traveler, which, despite its stupid name, is a really good. It's one of the best role playing games on the Nintendo Switch right now. It's also been released on Steam. Um, it is it, these these guys that make games in a style they call HD two D, where it's still sort of like the pixelized graphics that you remember from the nineties. Well, you do if you're our age. <laughs> Um, but what they do is they display it in sort of an isometric viewpoint that adds a little bit of 3D depth to the area they're in, and then they provide really realistic lighting and stuff, and it makes for this really unique look, but it was also a really in-depth game with like a lot of emphasis on story, on dialogue, on characters, and the fun battle system. So this is their next project, and what it is... Is, I mean in terms of the battle system it's a turn-based sort of grid-based like squad combat game in the vein of Final Fantasy Tactics Final Fantasy Tactics being a 1997 game uh, later had a, a significant like big improvements in a remake it was re-released as War of the Lions in 2007. it's it's sort of a cult favorite. Like it's not one of the main Final Fantasy games. Those are more like direct role-playing games rather than this grid or team-based squad combat, but it's got this huge following. It's one of the things that yeah, when you meet another person who played Final Fantasy Tactics, you sit down and spend half an hour going, "Oh, in this part, oh in this part, oh in this part. They're clearly taking inspiration from that and sort of trying to make the next one."
1: Yeah, well, just from what I read, it sounds like the based at least on the demo that's been released, it sounds incredibly story intensive this version.
0: It absolutely is. and that's again exactly what they've done. Like War of the Lions is really famous for its it's it's sort of a Game of Thrones plot. It's the medieval times and there's betrayal and heartbreak and medieval you know nonsense. and it's all written in sort of a faux high Shakespearean, you know people say you know come not naUGHT. Like, it's that mm. kind of oldie English, and this definitely does the same thing. They, they announced it in their Nintendo Direct on the 17th and made a playable demo available the same day, and it's meaty. I've put about four hours into it so far, and it's not finished. Um, and a big part of it is talking to characters and influencing their decisions, So, like, choice isn't a... That's not new to video games. Think, like, Mass Effect. It's like, Commander, do we, you know, blow up the bus or try to save the hostages? And you pick one. In this one, important story decisions like that are handled sort of by a vote. So you can say, I want to go kill this guy, but if all the other people on the team say they don't want to, you go make that story decision instead. So you're spending time... Sort of learning about the situation and unlocking dialogue choices and maybe other items and stuff to convince the other characters of the story to go with you. Right. So there's a lot of time spent getting to know people and to learn
1: things and get familiar with the world and then just sort of see how it plays out. Now, this isn't the type of thing where you can just sort of type in whatever you want to say to them. There's, there's choices for what you say. How many, like, how, how detailed is the dialogue tree? From what I can tell, there's, you, like, if you're in that, like, if you're in that formal thing,
0: like, okay, now it's time to convince this person to vote the way I want them to vote. You have a variety of, like, two or three different dialogue options. And depending on who they are, some are more effective than others. And then there's usually, like, a bonus thing you can do. So if, like, oh, this guy is the, you know, he's 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 the buff soldier guy. Like, all he really cares about is fighting. The best dialogue option to go with is probably the one with, like, well, we'll get a good fight out of it, right? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Or you do a little bit of research, you hunt around town, and you figure out, oh, hey, actually, here's this really unique way we can set it up. Like, here's a way we can win the battle. And by doing that research, you've unlocked that extra dialogue option. So you go back and you talk to him and he goes, oh, hey,
1: I didn't know that. That's cool. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm totally with you now. So is it the sort of thing where uh, I know in Mass Effect when you got the Paragon or Renegade dialogue options would be like blue for Paragon or red for for Renegade. Is it? that clear when it's it's the, the specialty choice? It's definitely not clear. I can tell you that <laughs> okay. much from playing the demo. I definitely
0: thought I had this one guy pegged, and instead I pissed him off and lost his vote. So <laughs> even with the bonus stuff you unlock, it's possible to still mess up. There is still sort of that system, like Mass Effect had Paragon for the good guy and Renegade for the bad guy. This game has utility, liberty, and morality as sort of a hmm. three-way like you know three color system and i don't quite get how liberty works yet but the difference between morality and utility is pretty clear right it's like you know do what's best for us or do the right thing okay so it's uh, so there's a like there's a lot of depth to it um we, we got to move on but it looks cool it's not due out for a while but the demo is available now and Square Enix has done this in the past. Like they'll release the demo and they'll take feedback, and they tend to, like, and you like, they'll say like, okay, based on our feedback, we've changed the game this way. I think for Octopath, like they made some changes to how their battle system worked at the last minute, uh, just as a re- in response to fan response. So hey, you, if nothing else, you get a chance to affect the development of this game. But it that's cool. That doesn't happen very much, I don't think. No, they usually. It's Nintendo has a very different development cycle than most companies, I <laughs> think. Um, but it's cool. If you got a Nintendo Switch, it's available for download now for free.
1: It's worth trying. I had a lot of fun with it. Still haven't beaten it yet. Um, and and it that's go. a pretty substantial demo. A lot of demos you can finish in in fifteen minutes. Yeah, this is this is meaty. Yeah, exactly. I haven't had the time to wrap it up yet. Very <sighs> cool. If nothing else happens with this game, very cool demo. Worth trying. Alright, so my number four is the uh, the trailer that came out for Cruella, the latest in Disney's latest run of live-action versions of their classics. Now, you may remember that there's already been a live-action 101 Dalmatians, and I believe also a live-action 102 Dalmatians. So they decided to go another route with this, more in the vein of Maleficent, and try and rehabilitate one of their classic villains. So it's uh, this is directed by Craig Gillespie who's best known for directing more independent and, uh, I guess, thoughtful, fair, like <laughs> Lars and the Real Girl and I, Tonya. Um, This is coming out on May 28th. Uh, they're aiming for theater, but who knows? They may go Mulan and put it out on uh, Disney Plus Plus again. Uh, and it stars Emma Stone as Corella. There's also Emma Thompson and Mark Strong in, I guess, more villainy roles. When When does Mark Strong not play a villain? Um, but yeah, so the trailer came out and um, it was. It's stylish. I really like the 60s flair of it, but I don't know how much I care about Cruella DeVille's origin. Right, this is. I was surprised when you were
0: saying that we should talk about this because holy cow, does that fly under my. I mean, I didn't understand why we needed Maleficent, and I think we have two of those. Um, and even that is just a disney version of Wicked, right? Which at least had, a, like, a stage show to back it up. But, I mean, Cruella DeVille, she wants to, like, she wants to murder puppies for fashion.
1: Like, that is that reclaimable? Uh, I don't know. She's, she's She's a great character, but she's a great evil character. And there seems to be, it's like that classic patton Oswalt joke about the star wars prequels where he's like oh you are want to he does this right uh, very yeah funny you, George you, Lucas you like voice.
0: boba fett when well, you can see him but he's a little kid
1: yeah yeah and he's and he's sad you know you like darth vader and now he's a little kid and he's sad I was like i don't really want to see this hilarious over the top villain as a sad 20 something who's failing at fashion in the 60s or whatever the storyline is and uh i don't know it it may be worth it for a style over substance thing just just go and watch for the spectacle of it all but i have to say there's this trend of like the joker and maleficent in these movies where we're we're seeing you know oh what makes this bad guy tick and it's getting a little played out and i just don't know that we need more of it especially like i feel like in this environment of like a pandemic and all the stuff that's been going on in the the se- southern parts of north america uh i don't know that i want more villain stuff i kind of want more happy optimistic stuff right now but maybe <laughs>
0: again it's just me no i hear that yeah i'm not i'm not interested in your dark and grimy right now for sure i've got plenty enough of that at home right um but which is why I was surprised that you put it on. But you know what? I figured, hey, like that's what I did. Is I asked around and I said, hey, what do you think about Cruella? And I think a lot of people, so like they started the same way we did here. Where they said, well, like I definitely, I didn't know I cared about Cruella Deville's origins. You know, that's that's not important to me in the in the least. And also, who can do Cruella Deville better than Glenn Close? But. uh but the other side of it is like like I was talking to to Zinny, who's a, a friend of the show and also my mother, who pointed out that it sounds, like from the trailer, it looks like it's a Disneyified version of the of the movie The Joker. Which when you think about it, like one of the things about The Joker is that it's a it's a little much <laughs> that movie. Yeah. You know, so if you tone it down, make it a little more lighthearted, maybe that like maybe that's a winning recipe. Um Again, I'm not terribly interested, but I mean Disney gets watched a lot at in, you know at home and you know with fr- people I used to see uh, who I don't because of the pandemic, but maybe we'll be around again one day. So I'm sure I'll see it at some point. But if you told me we're going to watch a movie, it's like the Joker, but it's less over the top. You know, that's that's a pretty or, good pitch, or
1: more over the top. Like
0: well, it Joker... depends on what you mean by over the top. I mean, like Joker was so intense. Like it, was, yeah. like it was way too much. So I feel like Disney's going to roll that back a bit, right? Emma Stone isn't going to murder Danny DeVito on stage. Well, <laughs> wait,
1: where did Danny DeVito come from?
0: No, not, da- not Danny DeVito.
1: <laughs> really, now I'm even more intrigued.
0: <laughs> that sounds good. No, why can't I? Robert De Niro. Okay, good heavens. It is Robert De Niro, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Isolation <laughs> madness.
1: This is what it does, people. Watch for the signs in your loved ones. <laughs> but it's uh I I I kind of my version of over the top is it taking the villainy and the evilness and and amping it up and taking it out of the sort of like grimy, gritty 70s vibe of the Joker and making it pop more. Like there's a part in the trailer where she she sets her outfit on fire and it transforms. And it's something that that they already a, it, did
0: in the Hunger Games movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: It's that la- exactly. <laughs> it's it's a little too soon to be pulling the exact same stunt as one of the biggest box office hits of the last ten years. But it is a sign that they're not trying to make it realistic in any way, shape, or form. So hopefully, that helps take it to another level. I, I don't know. I'm sure it'll do great, and we're just. Old cranky men who who this is not made for. I mean, we'll see. the The Disney live action thing is uh, they're really milking that cow, and it's working for them at least in the, as far as making money. Yeah,
0: well, yeah, that's the most important thing.
1: <laughs> okay, what's your
0: number four? My number four. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Hitman three. Uh, Hitman three, the conclusion to the World of Assassination trilogy. The Hitman games, uh, it was released, they finally finished on January 20th. Um, The original Hitman, well, the original Hitman is a ways back, but the developers, IO Interactive, made a major reboot starting in uh, 2016. The sequel came out in 2018, and now it's finally wrapped up. Uh, And the Hitman games are constantly getting 9 out of 10, you know, 4.75 out of 5. Like, they're they're always wonderful. Just to be clear. That's, that's for this iteration of the games, right? Well, the old, the initial ones too, but yes, let, let's zoom in. Specifically these three games... For the the, okay. the world of assassination trilogy, they are constantly getting fantastic reviews, but they sort of slide under the you know they don't have that big star power you get from like, you know a Legend of Zelda game or a Halo game, but these games are phenomenal. I've talked a little bit about them on the podcast before. Um, essentially, you you are a hitman and you have a target, and it's not a first person shooter. You're not just going through and like, killing 170 guards and going. It's it's more about sort of the the stealth element of it but it's like think of it like a puzzle game almost you you have a target he's, and he's a, he's wandering around like glad handling at a at a fancy fashion show how do you kill the target and get away without like yeah, you, know, you can't just walk up to him and shoot him. His security guys will be all over you. Assuming you can even get a gun into the building, so maybe you poison his drink, right? But to do that, you have to impersonate a waiter. So first you sneak into the service area and find a waiter's uniform, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And every mission has these layers and layers of different ways to accomplish the goal and the more you do the more you unlock new tools and new stuff it lets you do more stuff so it's it's sort of like it's like unlocking all these Rube Goldberg machines hmm. of targeting people it's it's also worth noting that the overarching plot of these games is like your the, your targets all end up being sort of the like the global elite united together in a sort of illuminati And there's a lot of parallels. You know, it's like, basically, you're killing evil rich people or, you know, people exploiting workers. Like, at one point, like, one of the side missions, like, your target is the head of an MLM pyramid. Like, and given the, you know, the events of the last couple of years and, you know, divisions between, you know, like, there's an element of class warfare to it that's very satisfying. Let's put it that way. Um, The third game... Uh, it's out for current-gen, uh, so, you know, like, PS4, and there's an upgraded, slightly version for PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox One Series X, One Box Series X, whatever they call their console now. Oh, you're stuck in a loop. You're stuck in a loop, Jess. Yeah, yeah, I'm the problem there. <laughs> Um, and it's the, uh, what, uh, two important things to note about this. First, that the third one is phenomenal. It's great. I mean all technically, it's bug free, it works. It's a ton of fun. It has an interesting enough story to keep you into it. It's a lot of fun to play. But also that the Hitman games have always been iterative. So if you buy Hitman 3 right now today for an extra 20 bucks, you can get all the content from Hitman 1 and 2 running in the Hitman 3
1: engine. So I, that is the part that has been making me scratch my head. Can you explain that a bit more, like dive deep on that? It's like, think of it as
0: levels in a video game. Um, so it, like if you bought, if you think, okay, so you bought Super Mario 1 on the NES and you got those eight worlds and then you bought Super Mario 2 and that wasn't even a worlds thing, but you get that content there and then you bought Super Mario 3, but then you bought Super Mario All-Stars and you got Mario 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. This sort of this sort of backs up like that. Like you can get Hitman 3, but then play all the stuff from Hitman 1, like all those eight worlds from Hitman 1 and the worlds from
1: Hitman 2 and then go and wrap up up in Hitman 3. So is this uh, I feel like I'm so out of touch. Is this a common thing in video games it, now it or is not? this something Okay, okay, good. I'm not that out of touch. Yeah. Now the not- <laughs> like the,
0: the other difference is that like there aren't huge changes to the game. Like the difference between uh like Halo One and Halo Three, it's a whole new graphics engine, it looks better, it plays differently. If it, this it I mean, Hitman Three like has the best environments and the biggest levels and some cool new, cool new tools but it isn't a huge step up you
1: know, graphically or technically from what Hitman 1 was. So can you, it, I mean, just going back to your original thing, would it be, can you like take your raccoon suit from Mario 3 and play it in Mario 1? Can you use stuff from Hitman 3 and bring it back into the Hitman 1 levels? You absolutely can, which is very cool. Um,
0: yeah but there it also like there isn't anything as dramatic as a raccoon suit.
1: <laughs> no, I think Hitman needs more raccoon suits.
0: Oh, what doesn't? <laughs> uh anyway, so it's it makes it that it's a really cool point of entry if you haven't tried it yet. Um It's, uh, it it adds all that. Oh, and just quickly, I mean, we got to move on. But also, if Hitman 3 adds VR support, if you have a PlayStation VR, Mm. it's sort of goofy, because it's, you know, first person, but it adds it not only to Hitman 3, but also to Hitman 1 and 2, if you Hmm. bring them in that way. So if you want to try it in virtual reality, it looks like it's more of a gimmick, probably a lot easier to play with a controller or a mouse and keyboard. Um, but it's a ton of fun and it's just, it's, it's a puzzle game at the end of the day. I play this game and I feel like I'm solving a problem
1: and it just, that problem <laughs> just, just happens. happens to be a Colombian yeah. drug dealer or something. <laughs> the, the other interesting thing about this is that the next game by these people is the James Bond game. Yes, so Project that, 007. That may be bringing more attention than it otherwise would have received. And
0: they've earned it. I can't think of any studio that I think would bet I mean the 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 a combination I think of the gunplay and like the secret stuff in this, perfect fit. I mean they definitely need to tweak it a little. James Bond is a lot more action-y than Agent 47 is, but I can't wait to see what they do with it. That's I mean that's a whole other item on the list.
1: Alright. So let's move on to number three on my list. The War of the Bounty Hunters. This is a six-month comic book crossover that was just announced. It's happening in all of the Marvel Star Wars books. And uh, so those books are Star Wars, Bounty Hunters, Dr. Aphra, and Darth Vader. And it's going to run from May through October. It's all going to be... well. The, the main story is going to be written by Charles Sewell, and the creative teams from the various Star Wars books are going to handle their parts of the crossover. And the primary artists are Steve McNiven, who is one of the best in the business and just does not do a lot of interior artwork these days. But whenever he does, it is a treat, and you should get it just for that. And Luke Ross is going to be doing some of the other art. And the main story of it... Well, let me rewind a bit and say that the current iteration of the Star Wars comics that Marvel is doing, it's it's filling in the gaps in the new version of the the canon of what happens between the movies. So when this first started, when Marvel first started producing these, it was about what happens between A New Hope and uh, Empire Strikes Back. And now they've completed that run of it, and they're in the early days of the what happens between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And this storyline in particular is going to be about what happened between when Boba Fett left Bespin at the end of Empire Strikes Back and when he got to Tatooine. Like, what was that journey like? His travels with the frozen and carbonite Han Solo. And apparently he loses him at some point. There's fights with the other bounty hunters. And uh, it, it sounds like a fun ride. I mean, honestly, the main reason I wanted to talk about it is because I love Steve McNiven a lot. He's a fantastic <laughs> artist. He's a good Canadian boy. And he's probably best known as the artist for the Civil War comics that Marvel put out, and he did Old Man Logan, both with uh, Mark Millar, the Scottish comic book writing phenom. And let's be clear,
0: Charles Sewell is no is no slouch either. I mean, his run on Darth Vader was
1: absolutely phenomenal, if nothing else. He is not my cup of tea, I gotta be honest, but he's, he's a big name, especially in Star Wars. We may be hearing more about him in... Uh, in a, yeah, yeah, in a maybe later segment. <laughs> <laughs> but he is he is a big deal in the Star Wars uh, verse these days.
0: And in the meantime, like let's not overlook the you know the careful planning that went into this, right? Like we it, you know, we all discovered at the end of the last season of Mando that there's going to be a Boba Fett show. So why not do a little groundwork and establish some Boba Fett stuff, right? Get the audience
1: a little more familiar with this guy. Like there's, yeah, there's it- a lot of planning ahead happening here. And this Boba Fett show that's coming out is sort of, you know, Boba post Sarlacc pit, a, a guy who's who's seen some stuff, seen some digestive juices, and may not be at his peak. This is the Boba Fett that we all fell in love with, the the gruff weirdo from uh, Empire Strikes Back with the cool helmet. This is this is the Boba Fett that we've all wanted to see more of. I think. Have so,
0: he, and, I mean, we've talked about this on the show before, yeah. like. Hell, the Boba Fett fantasy sort of passed me by. Like, he looks cool, he's a great action figure,
1: but besides that, I mean... If there's any version of him that I think is exciting, it's the one from that movie. Like, like he gets dispatched so quickly in Return of the Jedi, it kind of ruins the fantasy. But in Empire, he's cool, he talks back to Vader in a way that no one else can get away with. He's... He manages to track down Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon when no one else can. He's got chops in that movie yeah. on top of being a cool action figure.
0: Maybe. I don't know. I mean, like the, the comparison is Darth Maul, right? Where like he showed up for one movie, had a couple of lines, looked cool, and then died. And that was it. Except they, they brought Darth Maul back and he was amazing. So presumably they're trying to do the same thing with Boba Fett. Like We can see that that's already worked.
1: I mean, he was also cool in the, the Legends timeline, too. Like, the Stories of the Bounty Hunters, Tales of the Bounty Hunters book. He, he had a, some cool stuff go down in there. Sure, was...
0: sure. But, I mean, all the licensed stuff, it's like, you know, what can you take from it, right? So, it's yeah, it's a tough call. Anyway, I'm, I'm really leaning more into Boba Fett than he deserves. I mean, he, he, if nothing else, he was awesome in Mandalorian. So, you know what? I'm all for it. Let's see more of him. And the other bounty hunters are all cool designs, too. I hope they do more IG-88. He had a great Tales of the Bounty Hunters story and just, like, that look. I mean, they sort of brought him back in Season 1 of Mando where they had the IG-11. Like, sort of same droid, different circumstance. But, like, that was cool, too. So let's see more of it, right?
1: It'll be uh, nice if they can make Dengar better than just a weird-looking guy wrapped up in toilet paper. It'll be nice if uh, Bosk and Forlom and Zuckus and all of them have a chance to shine in a way that they didn't get to in the movies red so when is this uh, when is this launching when, when is this hitting shelves it comes out in in may that's when you'll be able to start this whole run awesome all right, well, let's keep it rolling and keep talking about Star Wars. It, uh,
0: it's close to our bread and butter. Uh, my number three, I just wanted to point, uh, sort of wave the flag to point out that Star Wars Light of the Jedi came out on January 5th, which is the first novel in Disney's own homegrown brand new setting for Star Wars the High Republic era. It, uh, I mean, say what you will about the new movies, but they're definitely heavily tied in what's already came before. And Disney has said, you know what? We would like to play around in our own space, right? No Skywalkers, no Solos. Like We want to be able to tell our own stories in this world. And so they got a bunch of authors together and they have developed basically like a new world and the world of star Wars to start telling stories. And this light of the Jedi is the, the introduction to that. We are now at a prequel of the prequels. It is 200 years before the Phantom menace. So before little Annie, um, for those of you who are still heavily invested in the legends, in the license stuff, it is 800 years after the old Republic. So no, no, no Revan, no, none none of that. (laughs)
1: that that stuff is specifically from the Knights of the Old Republic games and and their their offshoots right yeah very much so they
0: also have their own comics and novels and toys and stuff now but but that's yeah it's definitely sort of a pocket that they don't want to touch and also revan is just such a larry sue it's just i'm so tired <laughs> of that guy Anyway, not important. We're two hundred years before the Phantom Menace. Um, the The Republic is just starting to expand into the outer rim of the galaxy. It's the space wild west. It's you know colonies everywhere, and people you know people born on space ranches who have never really seen what you know the core worlds of Coruscant is like. Um, there, the the plot of the book specifically, there is a great disaster, there is a hyperspace accident, um, a ship is destroyed in hyperspace, which should be impossible, and big hunks of spaceship debris are sort of dropping at a light speed all over the outer rim and crashing into planets, and, and it is bad news, and the Jedi show up to try and help. They end up crossing paths with basically space Vikings. The bad guys in this era, at least so far, are the Nile, or space vikings really works instead of horned helms they wear these big face masks these big helmets all the time they're creepy there they do like like they have a lot of toxic gas and they're pirates and marauders and, and and the big thing is that they their ships don't follow the same rules of hyperspace and this is a big mystery we don't know what this means yet but whereas like you know, all the hyperspace travel we've seen so far it's like you calculate the jump to light speed and jump through a hyperspace laneway these guys just go all over the place to the point where like they're like they're leaping into hyperspace in the middle of a battle to like quickly traverse you know like get, get right behind you um, and they're getting this technology from a new mysterious antagonist Marky markian Rowe, who apparently has some history with the jedi that we don't know what it is yet Uh, but, you know, stuff is starting to get real. And it's, like, what they're trying to do is establish a new feeling for the universe. Um, I feel like, from reading the book, that they didn't do a great job with the Jedi, frankly. They seem exactly like the prequel Jedi to me. But the rest of the world is, you know, it's got kind of a Firefly feel to it. Which I feel like is a well we go to maybe a little too often. But the idea of just, you know, folks out on a ranch.
1: Hmm.
0: That comes up a lot and there're folks like you know, who've never really heard of or seen a Jedi before and are always sort of surprised at what that means one of the characters sort of sarcastically refers to them as space wizards which I loved and it's just it's a different It's a different setting, so it's a little bit different from the Star Wars we've seen, but you still have starships and starfighters and blasters and lightsabers, and it's totally separate from all of the baggage of the Star Wars lore, so they can tell their own stories, design their own ships, write their own characters. Um, A lot of potential, and this book is very clearly meant to be sort of the welcome to of that universe. So if you are intimidated by folks like me and Graham who when you start watching Star Wars want to sit you down and spend like 30 hours explaining the backstory this is the place to jump in because there is no backstory
1: it's all brand new okay so here's where it it I it loses me a little bit and and you've done a great job pitching it and you've made me more interested in it than I I thought I would be but the, the movies the movies are what anchors the Star Wars universe. It's a huge franchise that branches out into every medium in existence. But the movies are the anchor. What happens in the movie is what matters. That's the, the stuff that we talk about, the, the, the shared continuity that we address. Anything else feels more nebulous, even as they say it's canon. It's the same thing with Star Trek. What happens in the movies and the TV show are what matters and the books and the comic books are just there to sort of fill in the the time between episodes uh it's like it's like when you read the star trek novels there's not a ton of novels that feature characters or settings that we're not already familiar with from the the shows so it, they and the ones that do exist they never quite land the way you'd like them to and, and I, I, with Star Wars, I think of the stuff like the, what is it, the Zhu Vang, isn't that? The Yu Vang, had, yeah. Yeah, right, right. And then there's those lizard people that have, in the Truce of Bakura. It's like anytime they stray too far from the rebels and the Empire, it starts to, f- to lose the more casual fan, I think. And I worry that this is, that's going to happen with this too it's got nothing anyone's familiar with outside of jedis and lightsabers and so it's like why of all the myriad options i have for entertainment am i going to go to this new star wars
0: i mean because see you are a man out of time you are i am you, you are reporting game. from like me i <sighs> should we'll be fair a person who grew up without cinematic universes this is not just a, uh, this isn't just going to be a setting for novels. There's already novels and comic books and there are going to be right up onto like like on, here perfect example. We talked about all those new products coming to Disney Plus. One of them is I think an 8 episode series called The Acolyte which is a Star Wars story. It's going to be streaming on Disney Plus that's going to take place in the High Republic era. Okay. Uh, this is the one by the girl. By, what's her name? Who did Russian Doll? Um, Leslie Headland is going to be the is the writer and showrunner for this. Um, it's going to be a female centric mystery thriller about the rise of the dark side during the High Republic era, and it's going to be on Disney Plus. It's going to be at, you know the same. It's got the same backing as the kind of thing that produced the Mandalorian. So you're going to watch it and you're going to go, "Holy crap! What is this High Republic stuff?" And if you want. This material is gonna be here for you. It's all okay. gonna be tying together. This is this is the future of franchises like this. Certainly under Disney, but other folks are gonna be trying to emulate it. You know, you can't just like watch Loki. What's gonna happen in Loki isn't gonna make sense unless you've also watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision and the new Doctor Strange movie. Same thing. Acolyte is gonna be watchable. But all that groundwork is going to be established in Charles Sewell's novels and Claudia Gray's novels. She's writing sort of the young adult version of the High Republic stuff. It's all going to tie together, and you're okay. going to have no choice. I,
1: I think having the show to anchor it really helps and, and will make it um, more substantial than some of the other I Star Wars things from I mean, look, Wars if you don't like youth. reading, you can just say so. It's no judgment. <laughs> I just... Look at all the comic books I have. Come to my house and see all the comics. Oh, yeah, comic books. Yes, of course. Yes, Those (laughs) those have the word book in the name, (laughs) so it must count. But my my point is, it's like, I've never had a great track record reading the Star Wars or Star Trek novels, because it's hard to feel that they count in the same way that the shows and movies do. But having... This show that ties directly into the novels is really going to help make them feel more substantial. I would, so good for them is what I say. Yeah,
0: I would argue that Star Trek is much more of a victim of that than Star Wars. Some of my favorite Star Wars stuff is in you know in in the paperbacks, uh, but and yet it, it
1: none of it counts anymore.
0: Well, I mean, they didn't like, you know the, Disney bought Star Wars and they said, hey, we're gonna, for Rebels, we're going to take this Grand Admiral Thrawn guy and put him in there. They they didn't do that just on a whim.
1: Right. Lots right. of
0: people like that stuff
1: just not you. <laughs> I mean, I like it, but it's like it's hard to feel invested in it when it it can just be taken away at a moment's notice. <laughs> like Mara Jade is is a complete non-entity now and she's from the same books as as our She's brain, a non-entity GA yet. Drawn. Oh boy. <laughs>
0: anyway, we're circling the drain. Um, that's Light of the Jedi, brand new Star Wars setting, it's, and you know, it wasn't half a bad read either, even for as, fran- as far as franchise fiction goes, so, available wherever you can find it, if you're in the pandemic, it's also available e-copies, digitally, get it while you can.
1: What's your, uh, what's your number two, Graham? So, they just announced an eight-episode Netflix series called Wednesday Adams. it's, uh, about our hero from the Adams Family uh, going off to a place called Nevermore Academy. It's a live-action show. Tim Burton is one of the guys behind it, but the actual people running the show are Alfred uh, Gao and Miles Miller, who are the best-known as the brains behind the Smallville TV series uh, through most of its what, 11-season run? It was long. (laughs) It was long. But uh, yeah, so... The big question is, I mean, it's exciting and, and it's it's kind of weird that Tim Burton hasn't had more involvement in an Adams Family project before now, because it seems right in his wheelhouse. Uh, but my question is, why does this need to be Wednesday Adams? Like it, it the the whole the whole premise of the Adams family, as I understand it, is that they're a weird ookie kooky family and and Mysteriously est- kooky. and they stand out from the normal setting that they're in. The comedy comes from them being the weird ones and everyone else being sort of freaked out by them. And sure, they've got weird family that come and visit, but the idea is that they're the fish out of water, or or rather they kind of make the rest of the normal world feel like a fish out of water in interacting with them, because they never blink. Like, they're... Unabashedly weird and unapologetically weird, and that's the appeal of them. But this never, what is it, never more academy is, is it, they have hinted that it, that there's weird supernatural going on there. She's solving crimes for some reason. She has psychic abilities. It's like at this point, they've changed her so much. Why? bother even connecting it to Wednesday Adams other than having it be like an established property to draw more attention to it.
0: It really does sound like discount Hogwarts. Um and yeah. and that does bug me. I mean certainly Wednesday Adams having psychic powers is so against the grain of what that character is supposed to be. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, it's been a while since we've seen, like, any fancy Adams Family products, so
1: why not give it a shot? I don't know. I mean, there was an a, an animated movie that had a great pedigree, but it kind of just came and went, I think it was a victim of the pandemic, In, in it, just the timing didn't work out great, but also I don't know that it got great reviews. But yeah, you're right, it's been a while since we've had an Adams Family project that really hit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that since, like, the, the live-action movies from the early 90s, you know, with Christina Ricci's uh, Wednesday Addams, so they haven't been quite the same. I mean, that's not the original. Like, the the stuff... I mean, Well, I guess you know, the original, like, were those single-panel comics from, what, the 20s? But... Uh, no,
1: <laughs> 50s, I think. 50s? Yeah, the TV series was the 60s, so I, okay. I, I'm saying 50s to give some... Some wiggle room between when they started making the comics and when the show got made. Um,
0: originally published in the New Yorker between their debut in 1938.
1: Oh man, wow. Well, we uh, split the difference. Yeah,
0: no kidding. <laughs> uh, anyway, a little off course, but uh, it. <laughs> it, it I, I would say those early 90s, you know, Adams family and Adams family values are definitely the quintessential Adams family.
1: For for our generation. For an older generation, it's definitely the TV show with John Aston and, and that whole. Clip. Oh, sure. That's that's a fair point, too. Yeah, I've, I've barely
0: seen any of that. But I would call those 90s as, you know, the, I, I don't know if, like, the show or the cartoon, or I guess even a more recent one that came since then, ever, like, ever really shared the same success of those movies. So it's it's yeah. been long enough,
1: I think, that, you know what, if they want to reboot the character a little, I'm willing to give it a try. They haven't they haven't said anything about casting yet but I know she's too old to be playing someone going to an academy at this point but if you don't have Christina Ricci as a character in this I just don't know what you're doing. You gotta have her be oh, like she'll a teacher. be. Yeah, she's gotta be in there be for Marticia sure.
0: As a something, as a, te- as a teacher or as a. I I think I've seen that. Like I don't. Oh, I wonder if it was just like a Photoshop. But I feel like I've seen it on the internet. Like Christina Ricci today, done up as Morticia instead of Wednesday and it, it and it, it hits some of those nostalgia trains. And, right. Yeah. And again, let's let I me mean, let's uh, well, we're not the people to touch on this, but the influence that the Adams family have had on like the sort of the goth subculture, like the Wednesday Addams look is iconic to an entire genre that people associate themselves to the the black dress with the white collar, like the black stockings and shoes, like that is definitely a look.
1: Right. Morticia as well. I feel like uh the rest of the family's look has kind of do, ha, doesn't have the same pop as theirs did. Like no one's dressing up like Pugsley or uh even or, Gomez you know. in the pinstripe suit. I mean,
0: it's, it's it's a tough look to pull off. It's yeah, but that's also part of the characters, right? Is <laughs> they don't care. Yeah. So, it's tough to say. In any case, yeah, like you said, not much to, is known about it. And I don't. And what I read so far doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like the Wednesday Addams I grew up with. But, but I, I mean, bit- Tim
1: Burton's involved, and it's dark and black. Like let's let's see what comes out of it. It's also it's also got to have an influence from from Riverdale, right? Like Riverdale takes the squeaky clean Archie gang and puts them in this weird. Twin Peaks soap opera thing. I, I, I think, hope it doesn't do that frankly. <laughs> well, I think the idea is like that the success of that show has given them license to take these beloved characters and do whatever they want with them because what matters is having the name recognition and and then do doing anything with them so long as you have a character named Archie, a character named Betty, a character named Veronica, etc. I, I,
0: I mean, I, now I'm really down on the show. So thanks for <laughs> that. I hate that. That's I'm so a thing. sorry.
1: <laughs> All right, what's your number two?
0: My number two. Oh man, speaking of being down, <laughs> this is your number two as well. I, I mean, as much as it's my number two, this is our number two. Is we are about a, almost a week out from the latest trailer for what's now called Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, To bring you up to date in case you've been living on Mars in a cave with your eyes shut and your fingers in your ears, um, the Justice League movie based on a lot of Zack Snyder's previous DC Heroes work was hot trash. Um, it was made by Joss Whedon. It was barely comprehensible and a CG mess. And ever since then, I mean, both because of how bad the movie was and as Joss Whedon has fallen from grace in the recent months, um, the fans have been rabid for the Snyder Cut. Show us how Zack Snyder would have made the movie.
1: It's it's interesting. There are people who, who are rabid defenders of Man of Steel and, and Batman vs. Superman movies that also have not been... Well received critically, to put it politely, but man, no one defends Justice League, no. the the Whedon cut. No, you could you could not like. I think it's very appropriate
0: to not like Batman versus Superman or Man of Steel, but everyone, you know, there's, a, there's everyone has different tastes. But Justice League was trash. That like they, that that like they were hoping that was going to be their Avengers. Do you remember the buzz around the first Avengers? Like that that movie changed movies forever. Justice League didn't. Uh, in any case, so Warner Brothers gave a bunch of move a uh, bunch of movie. Warner Brothers gave <laughs> <laughs> Warner Brothers gave a bunch of money to Zack Snyder and said, "Okay, let's do it, re-edit it, make it the way you wanted." And he said, "No, I'm actually going to reshoot a bunch." And they gave him even more money to reshoot, and he's basically remaking the Justice League. It's going to be a four hour. Yeah,
1: it sounds like there's no editing involved.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be a four-hour nightmare. <laughs> and he's just going to redo it and be like, no, this time Justice League, but for real. Um, I We may be on the wrong side of history because everywhere I go, I'm reading people who are really excited
1: about this. Where Our I'm, own friend Jonathan Cashmore is going to subject himself to the full four hours of it, and, and I'm sure he's going to come away. With a at least somewhat positive uh take on it, so we i uh, i uh, we're the odd ones out uh, at some level on this uh well, this you know, opinion.
0: Our, like a geek top fives resident d c expert it was uh, Kylie also was with us on this, right It's like true it, it was so terrible the first time now you want me to do it again, but for longer, <laughs> and based on the guy who basically has been remaking the same movie since three hundred over just with the slow-mo just super cgi like this is the guy who took sucker punch and made it boring
1: <laughs> i mean to be fair it's his original idea i think anyway so yeah, it, so yeah a, a bunch of you know hot models and fetish outfits fighting
0: zombie <laughs> cyborgs and nazis and he made it just a yeah. yana <laughs> yeah he did in uh, any case what do we what do we see in this new trailer um, we see that Steppenwolf has spikes now. Uh-huh. So I guess that's good. Um still just the the, the villain I can like take seriously the least. Uh, but we also saw Dark Side, like who should have been the villain of Justice League, so maybe there's gonna be a little less Steppenwolf and a little more Dark Side. Right? He's sort yeah, of for the, four he's...
1: hours you can have the exact same amount of Steppenwolf and still have Darkseid and the Joker and you know. A oh, pie to the face. There's a million things you can do in four hours. Well, I'm just hours. let me let me play devil's sorry, advocate. Sorry. Darkseid is kind of cool, right? He's the original Thanos. Like, yes, he was Thanos yes.
0: before Thanos was Thanos.
1: <laughs> but it's like I don't know. It's it's like you if you do. I'm trying to think of a better Marvel DC example. It's like once you have a Flash movie. If Marvel came out with a Quicksilver movie, you'd be like, well, I've already seen this,
0: you know? Yeah, I I know exactly. (laughs) But at least better than Steppenwolf. Sure, sure. So we see that. Um, We see Superman in the black suit, which is a reference to the death and return of Superman, um, which is... Kind of appropriate, because I mean Superman did die for absolutely no reason, but he he died in the, you know, the canonically chron- chronologically the last d c movie and the way they brought him back the first time in Justice League was ridiculous. maybe it'll be better in this one, but also his suit is black, so who's
1: hmm. that who's that
0: yeah. um we see the 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 tank from Dark Knight Returns, Batman has a tank. Um it looks like it's still in his like nightmare where it's like a post apocalyptic future and Batman has a machine gun, which I I'm trying real hard to to do the devil's advocate <laughs> thing here and it's not It's not coming together. Just keep going. Keep going. Power through. Um, And then at the end of the trailer, we see that, I mean, what this, what this, you already mentioned it, like what, what could this movie need? We really need to salvage Justice League. What better to put
1: in than Jared Leto's Joker? (sighs) Again, I mean, you could devil's advocate and say like, well, Zack Snyder's going to redeem this portrayal. Give Jared Leto the, the role he, he originally signed on for, make him. The menace that he, we all wanted him to be. Yeah,
0: that could happen. I guess he in the trailer he starts off. He does the we live in a society, thing. Which okay.
1: So here, here's the thing. Like I, I didn't originally watch the trailer. I watched the trailer only because you put it on your list. And and I mean, here's some behind the scenes stuff. Because I knew we were gonna be talking about it. I was like, well, I better watch the trailer. But prior to that, I was not interested. I was like, I'm not going to watch this this four hours. So why am I going to subject myself to yet another trailer for this thing? So all I knew about that moment was in screenshots on Twitter. Like people screenshot a Joker saying, we live in a society. And the defenders of that moment were like, oh, he's using it ironically. Because that's that had been a joke over the last, I don't know, ten years. The Joker talking about society being a bad thing or something it's an edgelord meme on the internet yeah 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 so then i watched the trailer and there's no hint of irony at all oh no 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 not at all it's played completely straight i don't know how anyone can watch that and be like ha ha he's he's you know playing up on people's expectations and making a joke of it no this is he, he made the edgelord meme Yep, With not and I think that tells irony. you
0: exactly who the the audience of this movie is intended to be, right? It's for a, this. It seems like this. I mean, is it considered a movie? Whatever it is, is targeted to a very niche audience that is going to that, like that has already decided that they're going to love it because it's 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 patterned around the memes around the. Just like like the internet social echo chambers that have been driving this since the Justice League's original release and Crash and Burn. Um, And it would be great if I was wrong. I'd be super happy to be wrong. If this turns out to be the superhero movie of the decade, I will be delighted. Uh, But sure doesn't look like it.
1: The thing that... I came away from it with is as much as a train wreck as the original cut of justice league was the Whedon cut was there were moments in that trailer where I laughed, where I, there was some thrill to it. There is, not a drop of humanity to be found in this trailer. No, it's they're never, all,
0: and it's the same trailer Zack Snyder's been making for fifteen <laughs> years. For every, for three hundred, for Sucker Punch, for his DC, for all of them, it's the exact same trailer. He borrows somebody's epic remix of a song we've all heard and has slow motion CG play over
1: it. And it's it's there's not a joke. There's nothing in it to make me feel like it's. I, I might as well just be watching a bunch of like hollow gods throwing lightning at each other this and, is what and pe- this is what he's been doing this is what the DCCU
0: I'm... has always been it's been the grim dark superhero universe and again you know it hasn't been cr- like people
1: don't like it but it's making money so I just it's like the the, the I keep thinking about this moment in the original Justice League where uh Batman surprises Flash in his his secret lair or whatever and uh, sort of tricks him into revealing himself by throwing the batarang at him. And that whole moment between them was great. You got a, a sense of who these characters were in, in a 20-second scene. You got to, just based on the dialogue, you knew so much about who the Flash was, so much about who Bruce Wayne was. And watching this, they're just just statues basically there's nothing to make them me connect with them at all i i don't understand why people want to see this
0: i don't either and i i don't know i don't i, I that's why i'm saying maybe we're finally too old are we <laughs> finally just like, like have we lost touch uh people seem very excited for it but i had to force myself to sit through the entire trailer i can't imagine forcing myself to watch four hours but, uh, but we got to move on. So I don't think we're saying anything <laughs> new here. The Snyder... right, It's not the Snyder Cut anymore, because he's shooting whole new things. The the Snyder... Zack Snyder's Justice League will be out on HBO Max and who knows what equivalent on Canada on March 18th. So look
1: forward to that. All right, so my number one is uh, tied into something that DC's been doing for a little while now. It started with Batman 66, where it took the continuity from the Adam West Batman TV series and just sort of continued that in comic book form with artists who were able to draw in a 60s pop style and people who were good at writing tongue in cheek. And that was popular enough that they did Wonder Woman 77, which continued the story of the uh, Linda Carter Wonder Woman TV series. And there have been various other uh, books at both DC and Marvel that have continued that trend of whatever, plus the year to indicate what show or version of of the material we're talking about. Now, DC is going with something that I think people have been clamoring for for a while now. Batman 89 and Superman 78. So, Batman 89 is going to be continuing the continuity of Batman, and I believe Batman Returns. I think they're sort of jettisoning forever and Batman and Robin well the focus and is
0: the Michael Keaton Batman right like yeah that's the- yeah
1: yeah so it's spearheaded by artist Joe Quinones, who uh, had previously pitched a Batman 89 series was rejected and then was like well screw it I'm not gonna let my sketches go to waste and released them all online and people were so excited about it I guess DC came back and was like please pitch us again He's brought with him Sam Hamm, who's one of the writers of the original movies, and he's going to be writing the stories for this. Hmm. Uh, Quinonez put out some art of what we've got. It's a a very Michael Keaton Batman who's a little older. And there's also all these touches from the animated series that I love. Like, he's got Bruce Wayne's brown and yellow suit from the animated series. Uh, There's a new Joker who's done up in the style of Prince. I think we're probably gonna get a uh Billy D. Williams um uh Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent, thank you. It it's 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 exciting. I, I think it looks really good. He's an amazing artist, so just for that alone, I'm excited. Um beyond that, we're also getting Superman seventy-seven, which continues in the continuity of the Christopher Reeves Superman movies, and that's gonna be sorry, seventy-eight. Uh, it's going to be written by Robert Venditti and drawn by Wilfredo Torres. And I, I don't think quite as much is known about that. But if you love those Christopher Reeves, uh, Richard Donner movies, they're, they, it, it looks, again, very faithful. And the idea is just continuing those stories done in that same style with an art that reflects that the feeling of those movies. And I think it's such a cool idea to be able to do that. And ever since that has has launched... Other comic book creators have been like, I want to do the Flash 1992 or whatever it was from the old Flash series, or I want to do the Shazam 1975 from the the old Captain Marvel TV series. So uh, Dan Slott is desperate to do uh, Spider-Man, what is it, 66 from for the old animated series? <laughs>
0: that one I'd be interested in. That would be fun. <laughs> he
1: he uh, also said that he's already created that universe because there's a part in his Spider-Verse crossover from the comic books that inspired the movie where they go to a universe that is based on the animated series. So, he's already got the groundwork laid, but uh, these are both going to be digital-first comics, which is becoming more of a thing where of comic books that are released initially uh, exclusively digitally, and then eventually they'll get a physical release in individual issues and collected editions. But, if you want to get them, July 2021, you're going to have to go to your online web comic book retailer.
0: It's totally fair, given the pandemic era, right? It's a lot safer just to download a comic onto your phone than it is to head out to the local comic shop, assuming you have a local comic shop.
1: Yeah, yeah, and if you want to wait for the physical copy, they'll come out too, but uh, you can also do both. Get them digitally, and then if you want the physical one, just wait a couple months yeah fair enough,
0: yeah there's not that much to add to it. I mean, those movies are i mean in our case they're part like they're part of our childhood, and so that's like hard to overcome, but even if it isn't part of your childhood, they are the classics like they're they established so much of these universes and continuing those universes, even in comic
1: form that's that's such a fun idea, plus
0: and, you know, something new that they can do. <laughs>
1: And the the Batman one it combines two great tastes of our childhood with the Michael Keaton movies and the Kevin uh, Conroy animated series, so yeah. it's it's got a lot going for it. Peanut butter and DC chocolate.
0: <laughs> well, that brings us to my number one, and again, something that we will probably share. We probably could have just done this as a top ten <laughs> list, couldn't we? <laughs> Um, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, we got a new trailer, and finally announcements of release dates and merch, and all kinds of stuff that you can get for it. Um, Mass Effect Legendary Edition being a reissue of Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, the classic trilogy. Um the like, upscaled for modern gaming 4k resolution hdr higher frames per second etc cetera, etc cetera. play it again like it's the first time and slightly prettier uh it's coming out
1: on may 14th uh for current gen so so now that it's finally been as we've been talking about it off and on for a while now finally officially we got trailers we got release dates has it changed your opinion you you weren't that keen on it at first What about now? Have you pre-ordered? I'm
0: still not that keen on it. I have not pre-ordered it. I mean, listen, Geek Top 5's official position for a while has been don't pre-order video games. They all come digitally. You're not going to run out of copies. All you're doing is giving your money away for something that you don't know what it is yet. Look at the mess all the people who pre-ordered Cyberpunk are in right now, right? They spent a ton of money on something that just doesn't work. Fair point. Don't pre-order games. That being said... I mean Mass Effect is so close to so much of our of our hearts. This is one of the greatest video game sci-fi franchises of all time. An incredible story, incredible characters, and this classic trilogy was you know it's is where the meat is at. However, it's at the end of the day I know, in my case, like my wife and I like you know between the two of us and watching each other's playthroughs and saying we 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 did the math, we've played through all three of these games seven times, and seven times each, no, no, total, okay. Now, that's not as insane as it would sound with another game, because Mass Effect is all about choices, and the choices you make cascade down into subsequent games, and so the state of the galaxy at the end of my game could be a lot different than what it is at the end of your game. But between the two of us, the missus and I, like, we have seen all the choices. We have heard all the dialogue. You know, like, we have... like We're very confident in saying we have covered every inch of this because we love it so much. But the idea of playing it again just prettier, I don't... I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I have time for, you know, what, average 40 hours per game, so 120 hours to play through. I don't know where I can find the time to do that these days, but also... I just, I don't know if there's, like, there's nothing, well, there's a tiny little details we'll get into, but overall, it's just, it's just selling you nostalgia in a box, and I don't know if I'm in.
1: I am in. I have broken our bro code, and I have pre-ordered it. Uh, (laughs) I'm gonna probably take the day off work and settle down and, and try and do all 120 hours in one sitting. Is, we'll That's, see how that goes. I don't think you understand how days work, but good luck. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. That's all I need. Uh, just support. Thank Did you. Did you pre-order any of the stuff? No, no. I pre-ordered digitally, and right. uh, the stuff, I don't. I, I'm old enough now to realize that the stuff... Is not worth the price. For I me. I know it's not
0: worth the price, but like the the replica of the Commander Shepard helmet, I was tempted. <laughs> That's it's I mean, ridiculous. It's... <laughs> I'll try it on once; it'll be great, and then it'll sit on a shelf collecting dust. But exactly. the helmet, man. <laughs> I was more excited about that than I am about playing the games again, which I think is a great that that summarizes my position neatly.
1: Right, and and my take on it is I played each of the games once. I, I went through, I was happy with my results, and I just kept going. And uh, I am not a big video game replayer. It, it takes me a long time to get through a game usually, so by the time I'm done, I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna move on to something else, and then there's always another thing, you know? There's As Qui-Gon Jinn says, there's always a bigger fish. I'm always gonna have another game to play when I'm finished, or, or so it feels, so and here I have, you are, ordering the same old fish. But it's it's not the same old fish. It's all three fish in one, and they've made it tastier. They've, this is the fish with breading now. <laughs> it's the breaded version. Okay, yeah. Um, to clarify
0: that, yes, it's prettier. They have also tightened up some things here and there. Um, dramatic improvements to load time. So players who played Mass Effect 1 will remember that a lot of loading time was disguised by those long elevator rides. Um, Which actually had some very entertaining dialogue in them, but you spent a lot of that game waiting for the elevator. That's now not going to be an issue. Mass Effect 1's awkward combat has been improved a little. They're not porting over the later engines from 2 and 3, but it's going to feel a little more natural. Other little changes and just tweaks here and there to bring it up with the times. Uh, Mass Effect Two, the arguably the deuteragonist was played by uh, by Chucks Yvonne Str- Strahovski, I think how it's pronounced. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Her character, um, great character, but they're definitely the camera sort of favored her backside, uh, and there were some very dramatic character moments, you know, that were very deep emotional confessions happening while the camera was pointed pretty squarely at her butt that's been adjusted you know and which of course has the internet in a bit of a faux outrage because it's it's as far as butts go you know you didn't mind looking at it but <laughs> It, yeah, the scene I think is better served by a different camera angle. Like little things like that are being done. Some of the boss fights are being rebalanced. Uh, I think the biggest change that I liked was that the the the, the protagonist of the game, Commander Shepard, can be male or female, and the male Shepard had a very The distinctive is the wrong word, because he was just a generic white guy, but you knew what he looked like. When you saw his face, that was Commander Shepard. The female character didn't have that distinctive a look until Mass Effect 3, where they made her a cool badass redhead, and they've now rolled that character back into Mass Effect 1.
1: So it's, you know, that character, now the two genders are on parody. That's that's neat. And that they, that being said, there's still all the customization options that you had before, where you can make the character look however you want them to look.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: That's you know, if
0: you want, the, if you don't like the look of Commander Shepard, you want them to look more like you, go for it.
1: I'll, I'll be honest. I spent a lot of time in the first couple of games customizing the look of the character. Like I spent, I went through like every slider on there to get them looking just the way I wanted to. And then within like 15 minutes of playing the game, I'm like this guy is hideous, why did I waste so much time? And so by the time I went to the third game, I was like, default, this is fine, let's just go.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a little guilty of that sometimes, too. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, this is just you know two friends and a podcast with two very different opinions, because I think I've done it to death, but if you haven't, and you think you're going to be able to get something new out of it, I say, Godspeed. And I say, let's go! <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that covers everything we wanted to cover, and we are definitely over time because we got into it, but uh, 10 things on that list that uh, maybe you don't know about. Maybe it's news, maybe just you, know, you like like to talk to somebody about it, or as close as you can. Maybe um, we can call
1: this, this segment 10 uh, Things I Hate About the News.
0: There you go. Yeah, I don't see any copyright issues coming up with that <laughs> at all. Um, We hope you enjoyed the thing. We hope, if if, if nothing else, we've given you a fun way to spend an hour and a half. And uh, hey, if there's anything we missed that you think we should have mentioned or any comments you have or just if if you're worried that I'm not the same person I used to be because I'm not going to be getting this Mass Effect game, um, I know we would love to hear your conspiracy theories and otherwise
1: opinions. Graham, how can they get that to us? And just before I list how you get in contact with us, I just want to thank Sonali for reaching out through these methods to talk to me about WandaVision. We had a little back and forth. I meant to thank her about some of our conversations uh, leading up to the previous episode, which got my mind jogging on some of the things I wanted to talk about. And uh, again, thank you for writing in, which she did, and you can all do, uh, through geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. We would love to hear from you. Um, We're still gauging
0: the response to the Judge Jesse episode, Um, and we would just want to hear what you're interested in. Heck, maybe you've got a list, a top five you want to talk about. We'd be happy to have you on the show, even. Uh, At the end of the day, this is all for you guys. We want to say thank you so much uh, for listening and for participating. Uh, it's, It's just wonderful to find more geeks out there. While we're giving out thanks, also would be remiss not to mention Jamie Reum, guy behind our theme song, R-E-A-U-M-E. Find him on YouTube and on Instagram at Jamie, uh, Jamie Reum Official and Jamie underscore Reum, respectively. Pretty talented musician, does a lot of cool stuff uh, worth checking out. And otherwise, uh, plenty of cool comic books, novels, video games, and upcoming movies uh, to keep you busy in between podcasts. So that should keep you busy until the next time we get a chance to talk. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.